Hello, welcome to episode 16 of Unexceptional Americans. I'm Ethan Bird. And I'm Nick Donahue. And here we are joining you on this lovely Wednesday afternoon. Uh, sure, it's lovely. It's, it's, it's lovely somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's real crappy here. It's pretty sunny here, but it's kind of, kind of chilly. Um, it, it was like almost hitting 70 over the weekend here in uh, New Jersey. And um, then um, all of a sudden today, it um, turned all gray and dropped to somewhere around 50. Um, so, and it also started raining this morning. So, yeah. That's how I picture New Jersey's weather always being, to be honest. So, I'm not really surprised. Take that back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, proud of my state, okay? I, I am I am damn proud of it because in the summer it's usually beautiful. Um really hot sometimes. In America are pretty beautiful in the summer. Right. I I will fight you. <laughs> <laughs> um anyways, uh let's let's begin. What are the stories we're gonna be covering today? Um well we we can let's start with New York. Um, because everyone freaked out, rightfully so, when the New York um, elections board, the state elections board, decided they were going to take Bernie off the ballot. They're basically just canceling the primary, um, which was really stupid, really weird. Um, Of course, they were canceling it. It was this weird thing where, you know, for months leading up to this, Cuomo was like, nope, we're not going to do mail-in ballots. We're not going to do any of that. We're not changing anything because of the pandemic. And then Bernie dropped out. And like the next day, Cuomo said, oh, we'll provide everyone with a mail-in ballot if they want. And then like the next week, the state elections board said, actually, we're taking Bernie and everyone who isn't Joe Biden, basically, off the ballot. Because we're basically just going to cancel the primary. Just even though we have down ballot elections. Yeah, even though there's down ballot elections and all that, um, it's pretty clear what they were trying to do. Um, they didn't want the actual results of Sanders versus Biden in New York happening. Because who knows? First off, you know, it, it might not have actually looked super good, um, considering the fact that polls, pretty much all the polling, all the data shows like there's instant buyer's remorse when it comes to Joe Biden. Every state that has casted their vote for Joe Biden, um, some amount of people have basically said, oh, crap, actually, I wish I could take that back. Um, Because everyone saw him, like, finally go out on TV again. They finally let him out of his old man cage. And they, he just immediately just fucked up everything. He he decided to vanish during the pandemic. Fucking playing cards with Keegan Key and... Uh, Yeah, now that he's playing... um, um, I forget which I always mix up uh, Key and Peel, uh, Michael uh, Keegan Key. It's Michael, right? I don't know. I can't remember. I can never keep their names straight because um, it's not a racism thing. It's literally just like their names are. I I've, I I just can't keep remember it. Um, but um, they so you know like Joe Biden's playing cards with him. Um, 
and basically we've seen that like even Democrats who like hated Bernie Sanders and just didn't want him to win the nomination, even now they're still shopping around for someone other than Sanders because they don't have any confidence in Biden. We've seen it with um, people basically saying, uh, we saw it with the whole Cuomo sexual thing where people wanted Andrew Cuomo to step in. People are, I, I think a big part of the reason why the like fanatical people who are like diehards for Liz and for, for Liz Warren and for Kamala Harris, you know, the, the K-Hive and the, um, I don't know. Warren Democrats. Yeah, the Warren Dems, whatever we want to call them. Liz Lads. The Liz Lads. The, or we can, you know, we can call them by their proper name, which is Snakes. Um, they, um, like, the, like the really like hardcore people who I'm pretty sure exist only online. I haven't met anyone in real life who is like, I, I'm do or die for, for Liz Warren or for Kamala Harris. I've literally never met any real person who's like that. Just someone whose brain has been totally rotten like, by staring Kamala. at a screen. Yeah, the people, the K, the K Hive people. The K Hive is literally just a hashtag. It's just a bunch of people who post incessantly. They just shit post nonstop in a Kamala Harris hashtag. And now they're turning on Joe Biden. Yeah, and I think a lot of them legitimately. The reason why they, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of them are desperate to get their person to be the vice presidential nominee, is because Which, uh, I think that person will take over the top of the ticket because Joe Biden is is dying in front of all of us. It's almost certain that she'll be president at like, at, at the latest, like sometime in the, in the four years. Like, like yeah, like whoever, like whoever it might be is effectively probably gonna be like, you know, like, like an Edith Wilson type character or a Dick Cheney type person where like the president is a feckless moron. Although I do think some people underestimate how much of a feckless moron George W. Bush was. Um, but uh, but clearly at one but clearly at one point like Dick Cheney was calling the shots for like at least the first four years, um, and as we know with um, you know uh, Woodrow Wilson when he had his stroke um, towards the end of his term, it was uh, his wife Edith Wilson who came, who with his chief of staff basically made every decision for him because you know, half his body was paralyzed and mentally he was no longer fit to be president. No longer fit to be racist enough. He, he, yeah, he was, he was certainly, he got more racist after his stroke, more publicly racist. Uh, it, then he, st he started giving speeches that would, uh, you know, dive, that would divert into these long tangents and these long, these long tangential tirades about um, if you're a hyphenated American, you're a traitor. Um, and that oh, immigrants geez. can't be trusted and stuff like that. Um, and obviously by hyphenated American, he meant if you identify as Irish American, Italian American, Jewish American, like he, he, if you were putting a hyphen in your Americanness, you weren't fully American and you were a traitor somehow, or you weren't, you weren't reliable, um, or you weren't fully loyal. Um, which I mean, like, you know, Joe Biden having a stroke in the, his first four years is not out of the way, he acts like a person who already did have a stroke half the time. Yeah, actually a person having a stroke constantly, just like a series of mini strokes. Yes, like he is, and I think, like, let's be honest here, they're definitely hiding something about his health. There's a reason they didn't have the, uh, there's a reason they, the campaign released his physical medical, like his physicals. Um, 
showing that like physically his body is fine he's not on the verge of keeling over but they refuse to release specifically anything that had to do with his cognitive health or his mental health because they didn't want it because you know that probably would have revealed like yeah his memory is shot um which is probably part of the reason why he gets so much angrier now is because he has lied a lot throughout his career he lies incessantly he still lies most of the time when he's lucid um nowadays but you know if his memory is shot and he's been telling certain lies for years and years for certain lies that he might have convinced himself are actually true um so that he might not remember our lies he told um so now like you know it's a lot easier for him to get testier now because now if somebody's like you lied about this or you said this or you did this and that and the other thing he he's more prone to freak out on you now because he he literally cannot process what you're saying anymore um which or he's just why 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 um what, what do you mean i i said uh that that we should freeze all federal spending uh that i fought to do that five times what do you mean um, and then burn, you know, go to the YouTube um, and, you know, like things like that. So like, it is a legitimate thing where like, I'm sure a bunch of the people who want their, their person to win the veep stakes um, are like desperate to, because they think that person would still have their shot at being president if they are VP or, or at least his VP nominee. Um, and then of course, you know, the Hillary Clinton thing is back where, you know, there's a whole article written about in the Hill about how she waits for the call because they, because she might think that it, it seems like it's kind of in the works, maybe at least amongst like the Clinton people. No, that no, like, no. Yeah, no, 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 don't finish the sentence. Yeah, it, there's some people who want, who who may be considering, you know, giving her another go at it, um, and in that case. I can't um, believe how great you it would go this time after how great it was the first time. Yeah, one. I'm not sure if you can hear this, but uh, this is the sound that we should start playing. It's the Ghana Funeral Guys music. We should oh. just have those guys immediately come out for the Democratic Party if Hillary Clinton is the nominee again. <laughs> I said it. <laughs> um, and now, of course, we're also seeing a bunch of things where like, people are like trying to beg Michelle Obama to hop in which I stop asking her to do it. She doesn't want to, at the very least. She doesn't want to do it now. Stop doing that. Um, so like, there's all that where people want, like, it's clear that people either want, they either want a certain person to become the Joe Biden to announce him as his VP pick so that they can more easily ascend to take his place, or um, they want him to just like drop out right now and they want the convention to replace it with somebody else, which like, yeah. I mean, like if New York gets to vote on June 23rd, um, a very left-wing state with a lot of delegates, uh-oh, if everybody has like rejoice, I don't know, I was trying to work Joe into remorse. Oh, uh, um, but really confused. Has, I thought it was rejoice or something. No, everybody, yeah, no, no, no. Nobody's going to rejoice. Nobody's rejoicing this. Um, literally nobody. Um, except for the people getting paid by the Biden campaign. Those are the only people who are actually happy about any of this. But, I mean, 
I think that's probably part, that's probably like reason number one. We don't want to risk a vote that doesn't look super, that looks like Joe Biden is actually like, like everyone's sort of like second guessing themselves. And then I think, cause that's a genuine possibility. We can't actually rule that out. Like yes, Bernie suspended his campaign, which necessarily means like people turning out to vote for him is going to be depressed, but also like there, there's still a good chance that like people are still going to go out there to vote and there's a lot of people who realize Joe Biden is absolutely not fit to be president and absolutely incapable of running a general election campaign because he is he is suffering from some sort of decline. He's ailing. He won on Super Tuesday. He didn't even campaign in. He just benefited from an onslaught of free media right up before the election. He oh yeah, he benefited from the fact that you know Michael Bloomberg just drowned all those states in TV ads, like a whole bunch of Super Tuesday states, drowned them in TV ads, and then he dropped out right beforehand, and a bunch of people had convinced themselves that, you know, like, Mike... Well, he he stayed in Mike, Super Tuesday, right? No, no, he didn't. He dropped out before Super Tuesday, I think. No, I'm pretty sure he's... I'm pretty sure he was there on Super Tuesday, and then he dropped out the day after. Okay, whatever. But it was still... But it was pretty clear at the time, anyway. So he was, he was not staying in for very long. Yeah. Um, I think, well, in addition to the last Super Tuesday states, quite a few of them, rather conservative states, um, a lot of those states also like got blanketed in anti-Bernie ads by people like Mike Bloomberg. And Elizabeth um, Warren's pack. Liz Warren's pack, pack. Super Elizabeth pack. Warren did Elizabeth Warren's super pack that was formed last minute in order to blanket the Super Tuesday states in ads that specifically like undermined Bernie more than anybody else. Um, like all that and the fact that um, the media never really admitted that Bernie was the front runner, that he was winning. They never did any of that. So nobody ever got to feel the momentum, feel the energy of like, whoa, whoa, like Bernie just won the first three states of the primary. That's never been done before. He might win this. There was nobody in the media who was like, yeah, it seems like Bernie's got it locked. At the moment, Joe Biden went South Carolina. Everyone universally said, like, yeah, Joe Biden's got it locked. Um, but now people, like, have had quite a bit of time to kind of catch their breath. Not really because of the pandemic, but a lot of people have. And they're seeing that Joe Biden has a sexual assault allegation. That's really credible. They have, people are seeing um, that he literally just, like, is also just, like, this frail skeleton of a man. So there's a lot of reasons to not let him actually get challenged on June 23rd in New York, um, which is a state where, like, as we know, shenanigans happen. They pulled shenan a lot of shenanigans in 2016 to make sure that Bernie didn't uh, do very well, to make sure that Bernie didn't do well in that primary. Like, they purged, like, what, like 200,000 voters in Brooklyn alone from the voting rolls? Like, je just because. Um, they like specifically from the places that are like electing Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, um, like from Queens and Brooklyn, like they just purged hundreds of thousands of registered Democrats so that they couldn't vote. Um, and of course, the rules in New York are ridiculous. You have to be a registered Democrat for up to a year, I think it is. It's like a year before the date on which you want to vote in order to vote in the primary. Um, so obviously, like New York is a sketchy state. The state party machine does not like Bernie. 
This is just them sticking it to them. And also, not having Bernie on the ballot on the primaries, if there's down-ballot primaries on that day, which New York also, like, once again, it's a sketchy place, they don't do all their primaries on one day. Like, the presidential and gubernatorial primaries are, like, months apart. There's, like, all the state legislature primaries weeks away from the gubernatorial primary. They're on two different days. Um, it, it, it is a weird state like that, but um, I'm pretty sure the primaries for, like, the federal-level seats, like Congress, do happen on June 23rd. And they wanted to press that turnout by basically, especially amongst left-leaning people, by taking Bernie off the ballot. It was very clear that that's what they wanted to do. Um, but now, uh, Andrew Yang. Yang Yang. Yang actually saved the day. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, but Yang saved the day. He, he sued the New York State Elections Board and said, are you kidding me? Do not, do not, do not cancel the primary. Are you insane? I want, if people want to vote for me, I want that to happen. I think people should have a right to express themselves, which, you know, right on him. That was the argument he made. And the party said, okay, fine, fine. The primary's on again. And I'm pretty sure they're actually doing it with uh, mail order ballots this time. Uh, mail, vote by mail ballots, not, yeah, you know, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> words are hard, but um, winning an election is harder. And uh, we're going to see, um, we're, we're going to see what happens on, on New York, in New York on June 23rd anyways, presumably June 23rd. Who knows? Maybe they're going to have to push that back because uh, New York's um, second peak is the second wave of the virus is supposed to like happen in June, specifically in New York. So uh, they might have to push that back a little bit, even more. Um, which at this point, you know, if you're a state that 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 um, that is that far behind, you might as well just like they're probably going to try and cancel it again um, because of the pandemic. But um, yeah. yeah, that is what happened. And you know what? Kudos to Andrew Yang. He may have sold his soul to CNN and the Biden campaign, but he, he's he's done some. He, he did he did he done did good here, kid. You done did good, kid. You know. Yeah. Thumbs up, smiley face emoji, cap emoji. Yeah, we yank him. All right, I think that's all for the segment then. Mm -hmm. And we'll see you guys in the next segment. Yep. All right, and we're back with the second segment of this episode of Unacceptable Americans, and we're talking about um, the Finland's basic uh, income experiment which was uh, carried out from, I believe, the beginning of 2017 till the end of 2018, so two full years. And they've been analyzing the data, they've been interviewing people, they've been looking at different you know, trends and everything. It was a very small sample, I would say, about 2,000 unemployed people. Yeah, um, which, you know, makes this a little weird. Yeah. Like, like clearly, this is not... Because obviously there's a bunch of articles from like, you know, pro-business outlets going like, 
This means UBI is impossible. UBI is a failure. Oh! Um, but it's like, this was 2,000 unemployed, or people who are already unemployed being paid 2,000 euros, not just 560 euros um, a, a month, regardless of their income or whether they were looking for a job or ended up getting a job. Yeah, and um, it says that people who got the money were generally more satisfied with their lives and experienced less mental strain. However, there was little effect on employment levels. So it says, but I have not really, I mean, obviously this is from a Finnish website. Um, not obviously, the article reading is from a Finnish website. So there might be a translation issue, although Finnish people are generally very good at English. But um, it says there were 2,000 unemployed people. So I guess, I guess you say they, they, didn't, they didn't become employed generally. Is that what it means, a little, little effect on employment levels? I thought if they're all unemployed to begin with, then there's no way for it to go up or down, but it can go up. Yeah. Um, and, uh, families, but it says families with children who receive the money employ, improve their employment rates. But researchers concede it's difficult to draw any proper conclusions from this because of the small number of people including the experiment. Yeah, I'm not really sure why the um, experiment was so small. It might have been just to save the government money because that is a lot of money. You know, when you add up everyone, I mean, they spent 560 times 24 times 2,000. They spent the equivalent of roughly 29 million US dollars on this experiment over the course of two years. Mm -hmm. So it, it is, it is like, it's a lot of money for an experiment for the government to be funding. I'm assuming the government funded this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, it was, it was small, but I think this, this the results are overall I would say somewhat inconclusive, obviously from the small size of the sample. Um, yeah. And, but also, yeah. like, the fact that, like, the results are, like, the, the study's conclusion is literally, like, there were some positive effects, there were some negative effects. <laughs> like, okay, that, that's literally what everything does. Any policy is going to have some negative consequences, most likely. Most likely. Not, not barring that, like, you know, um, that there are certain um policies that might have like trade-offs that are so negligible that like they might as well not be counted but i mean and it also depends who's negative it's negative for who right yeah and i mean like like stopping the war did, yeah and, and i mean like th this might be getting a little abstract here for in, in regards to like the actual policy conversation but like what does it say about employment under current you know, under our current economic system, even in a country like Finland, which is held up as this model of social democracy, um, to where it's a left-wing enough state, supposedly, you know, left-wing, you know, whatever you want to call it, progressive enough, left-wing enough, social democratic enough, or, you know, if your definition of socialism is the government doing things, socialistic enough, um, 
that you know, like you know like the Jacobin crowd would call it democratic socialist, which I don't think I, no, it's not socialist. Let's not go that far. But um, let's not go that far with calling Finland that. But um, even but a country that is generally considered to be like the model. It's like Finland and Norway are like the model that you know the the that Bernie Sanders was going for that. Um, lots of leftists in the United States look to. Because I mean, Finland, Finland is a pretty cool country. There's some pretty cool stuff. Like they just banned private schools. We, we could do a whole other episode on they that. Ended, it's ended, very interesting. Ended homelessness. Yeah, they pretty much, yeah, they've ended homelessness. Um, but I would say, um, what does it tell us about, even in Finland, even in a country like Finland, where it has all these positive things about it, but it's still a capitalist country. What does it say about employment under capitalist productive relations that people were less miserable not going to work? That, that it, it, it gets, I think it, it suggests a little bit about what alienation, about how universal and pervasive alienation can be. Yes. Um, it, it, under a capitalist system. Um, and I think it's important to note that just because someone doesn't, isn't employed um, and they don't have like an official job doesn't mean that they're not like, you know, creating value for, for society or for themselves. So that they're not yeah, doing some of them might have been, yeah, some of them are parents. In parenthood, parenting, that doesn't get paid for. Um, primarily because that... Maybe some people are doing arts or, you know, exercising and... Yeah, that, reading, that's doing all kinds of things. Yeah, you know, that's part of the thing with capitalism is that the reproduction of society, the reproductive labor, and the compensation for there's no compensation for reproductive labor under capitalism. Um, re, like reproducing the laborer, the person who can do work under capitalism, it, it basically boils down to like you have to get a job and they throw money at they throw their money at you and you have to go spend it to ensure that you know you you stay alive and stay capable of working um whereas like under the social relations of slavery of a slave society um the master like is responsible as horrible slavery is the master is responsible for feeding you you're, you're it's a paternalistic relationship where the reproduction of the laborer is dependent on the on the master just as on this the exploiter the people who exploit the labor just as much also like reproduce the labor it's a direct it's like a flat circle pretty much in um slavery and in feudalism it's a little more you know there's a lot less paternalism because the surf supplies themselves, feeds themselves with the food that they grow on their own little plot of land. Um, but that plot of land is given to them basically as a gift. It's why they're serfs, it's why they're vassalized to the Lord. Um, that, that land is what they use to feed themselves and their families. Um, whereas in capitalism, things are highly individualistic. There's very little paternalism. It is purely you are an individual. The minute you leave the workplace, it is screw you. Bye. I'm done exploiting your labor. Bye bye. Go. Um, you know, if if you want to feed yourself full of crap, go ahead. If you want to if you want to keep yourself healthy and strong and uh, 
mentally uh, acute to be able to um, do uh, the work that you have to do at the in the best way that you can. If you want to keep doing top notch work, um, you want to keep yourself healthy enough to do that. Then like whatever. Um, and I think that's that's like the that's one of the big things, one of the big underlying contradictions in capitalism that um, it pits our personal well-being, the, our mental health, in, some case, in many cases also our physical health. It pits our health against our economic needs. Like it says here, uh, the study, um, the research was looking after mental and economic well-being. And the results of the studies are that people's mental and economic well-being seem to be in contradiction with one another. And it seems that even in a society as progressive, as advanced along the way, um, along the path of progress, you might say, um, in a world historic sense, as Finland is, that that extreme, that that alienation is still there, that the basics of capitalism are still intact and are still there, and the alienation that they produce is still infecting everybody. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great way, that's a great way to put it, is that you know, you can dress it up all you like, but it still is a capitalist country. But I would say that it kind of this kind of connects to a different kind of argument, but like it's still better to have a country like Finland than a country like the United States or a country like um, I don't know, like like Hungary. Especially you yeah. know, so there is there is a there is like a continuum and that's the thing, you know, you yeah. can't say like some like online socialist might be like, you know, if it's not it's the word is normally yeah, yeah. it's, it's all the same, you know, like, yeah, then, you know, that's obviously not what I'm trying to get at. I'm, no, my, no, my point is that, um, like I said, I think I kind of said it, but so like, like the, and I'm not trying to shit on Jacobin, but this is, I'm just going to use them as a stand in here. Just like the Jacobin crowd, um, the, the Sandronista types, the, the people who call themselves, the AOC, the people like AOC who call themselves democratic socialists, but don't actually seem to have their problems don't seem to be, um, they don't have a criticism of capitalist production, which is what capitalism is all about. Um, they, um, the, the, that um, you can build a beautiful, wonderful society with, like, you, through, like Finland has, by, you know, pursuing the egalitarian measures that they've pursued. Um, but you won't escape some of the basic contradictions within capitalism that mean everything you've built still rests on rocky ground. Now, Nick, would, would you say that a country like Finland is more likely to become a socialist country than a country like the United States where there's like not oh, as yeah. much of socialism? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. Well, I'm just saying because there's there's like an argument it. to be had there, and I would I would tend to agree with you here as well. But I was just posing the question, you know, all the ideas in this show, and um, it's like some people some people would say that, and this was the kind of the argument from Jimmy Dore and people like that that said like having Trump in office will benefit the left because people will wake up or whatever. It's like people would say that you know having like the workers be so oppressed would make them you know rise up and revolt whereas people that are kind of like getting along fine like that kind of society um 
would be less likely to like less likely to revolt. You know, there's that. that yeah, like I've seen. Yeah, I I I get the argument of like you know like like uh, this was sort of the this is actually the argument that actually um, funny enough originates with Stalin. Um, who called the social democrats of Europe social fascists because they um, he, the term originate the term social fascist like has some legitimate origins because the social democratic party in Germany aligned with um, fascist forces to crush the communists um, at at various points. Um, so you know, like Stalin, you know, there, there's a there's a background for that. There's a certain context in which the term is conceived. But the argument of you know, like the, they're just social fascists, ultimately, um, it ultimately boils down to like building a welfare statesman to placate the working class, and that means revolution will never happen. Um, and there's a lot of these Marxists who you know who do things like say like who who do like to criticize certain. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm anti-Marxist. I am a Marxist. I, I, would, I would call myself a, a Marxist or a Marxist in training or, or a learning Marxist. Um, and Marxist I was, Padawan. Yeah, yes. Padawan Marxism. Uh, Marxism Padawanism. The new, uh, <laughs> the, the new synthesis. Um, but um, the, there, there's always been that debate, I think, among socialists in general. Um, and amongst Mar when it comes to Marxists, it has certain specific theoretical connotations. But the idea that ultimately, you know, do social democratic reforms that ameliorate the conditions of poverty and of misery for the uh, working class um, or that, you know, level the inequalities within a capitalist society, do, do, do things like that actually help move us closer to socialism? Or are they actually like, um, are they not a, or, or are they actually a curse in disguise, not a blessing? Are they actually um, going to be a roadblock? Because people, because when you have so much, you're giving them more to lose by doing a revolution. And it generally comes from this point of view of like, you know, you can't reform your way to socialism, which, you know, I, I, I kind of would agree with that. But I think a society like, like we see with France, I, I think part of it de depends on the culture and the history of a specific country where in the United States, part of the reason why we aren't, why we aren't a social democracy is because we, is because of, as John Steinbeck said, um, the poor socialism never took hold in America because the poor here do not see themselves as an exploited proletariat, but as a temporarily embarrassed millionaires. It's because we have, it's, you know, the American culture is uniquely bourgeois, uniquely capitalist, um, uniquely hyper-individualistic, um, which has its roots in a whole bunch of things. Um, not just like, you know, not just the idea that like the evil capitalists like connived to, to invent Horatio Alger stories. Um, it's, it's not like, you know, some conspiracy, some elite conspiracy produced um, all the rags to riches uh, novels and novellas and short stories that populated popular American culture in the 19th century, um, creating this trope that continues to today. That, that had something to do with certain material conditions, certain socioeconomic realities in um, colonial and in America and in early, uh, the early Republic in America um, that turned into a cultural thing that have persisted into the modern day. Um, 
you know, there's unique conditions in each country. And, you know, a country like Finland or a country like France, for example, has a tradition of, has a strong socialist tradition. And a country like France specifically has a strong revolutionary tradition where, you know, France has undergone like 20 revolutions in the past like 200 years. They're on their fifth republic and they've all, and in, in the course of going from one row of, of, from their first republic to their fifth that they're on now, they also had like two empires and three restored monarchies. And, underwent a, a puppet fascist dictatorship in the meantime I want for like a few years in the middle of it too um, I mean like France has a very like has a very big tradition of you know has a tradition of overthrowing traditions <laughs> constantly so you know a revolution and you know you could say like you know I would say you know Denmark is roughly as um, social is roughly similarly social democratic um, as France is, but the French would be much more likely to have a, a socialist revolution. You know, uh, the Nordic countries are way more closer to like, if we think there's some sort of historical progression that leads directly from capitalism to socialism, um, where like, you know, the, the more that you advance the class interests of the working class through social through social democratic politics. Um, eventually, you you get to a point where either you reform yourself into socialism, which I don't believe that works necessarily because it just doesn't happen. But um, in a country like France, you know, they're a little more hair trigger with this stuff. Where like 1968, or the the general strikes like nearly overthrew. Yeah, we're like, in, they nearly overthrew their, they're almost overthrowing their government right now. If it wasn't for the pandemic, putting everyone at, yeah, at home, like things would have possibly escalated into a full revolution because the whole country was basically shut down and paralyzed by general strikes and protests um, that had a social, an explicitly socialist faction that were lining up behind explicitly anti-capitalist, revolutionary socialist elements like the French Communist Party and La France Insoumise, um, led by uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, um, were like that. That is the, the that is a possibility. But obviously, you know, you would say that the social democratic uh, welfare states of um, and the level of socialization generally in the economy is much higher in Norway and Finland. Um, but they are, uh, but those countries don't have super long histories of revolutions. They, but I would say that the, the but they're, they're closer. A, the Finns have a, you know, historical thing that's very recent and that I think a lot of them take pride in, which is their, you know, um, their, Basically, twice they fought for their independence from Russia. First in yes. 1917, and then um, and then in the um, cold in the Winter War during World War II when Russia tried to invade them again. Soviet Union tried yes. to invade them again. So there is, but, but with Norway and Denmark and Sweden, not so much. But yeah, yeah. Like Although there's, they, they there's were a history of, of nationalist resistance um, yeah. in Finland, and there's a history of labor militant, a very strong history of labor militancy in all those countries, um, which is why they got to where they're at. Um, those countries are more likely to become socialist in the United States, but they aren't more likely to have a socialist revolution, I don't think. Um, I think those countries would have some sort of democratic transition. The thing is, I think when it comes to reforms, we, can be, we should take reform as far as we can, peaceful democratic reform as far as we can, until we hit a barrier. 
until until we get to the point where the ruling class in whatever country we're in um, says no here and no farther because lines were drawn in the sand a line was drawn those the ruling classes the capitalist elites of a whole bunch of countries have drawn their lines in the sand in the united states their line in the sand seems to be like really really not that far like medicaid expansion yeah it's literally like giving more people slightly more people health care is their line in the sand for like how far left you but it, but it didn't used to be that way which is the the problem yes which is a problem with america because america was at some point a somewhat of a social democratic state and yes. then because the ruling class still has that kind of entrenched power although i would argue more so than in those other countries we discussed but yes much they more have, yes they have that, but even back then, they've gained an inordinate amount of power now. But like back then, they had enough power to kind of, you know, beat back the, the slow-moving workers' revolution that was, you know, happening in the United States, and they made a corporate comeback or whatever you want to call it. Like they, yeah, they have gone in, in the neoliberal. The yeah, and the, and the fact and the fact also remains that like you know you, you they built a pretty nice social democracy in some of the Nordic countries, but that didn't stop them from being affected by various economic. That hasn't stopped them from being affected by various economic crises because they're still capitalist economies, and capitalist economies naturally, not naturally. I don't want to use that word necessarily. Organically, or necessarily, are going to experience sort of cyclical crises. And that happens over and over again. And that always means that, you know, your social democracy is not going to, how did Keynesianism come to an end here in America? Because we had a giant economic crisis. Our economy like imploded in the 70s. And, every, and then the one thing that Keynesian economists said could never happen, stagflation, happened. And it happened a lot and it crippled the economy and it made people's lives miserable. And all of a sudden people are like, hey, um, I'm not really digging this high taxes, funding, um, expansive social policies thing. I'm, I'm not down with that anymore. And it was easy to convince a lot of people to like, hey, come out and vote. Um, it was easy to convince a lot. There, there's certain limits. I'm not saying that like we shouldn't, we should abandon those things. I'm not, in my personal life, yeah, I make this joke a lot, but I'm not saying that I make the joke that we should do this a lot or that I'm going to do this a lot, but I'm not going to, but I don't mean this seriously ever. And I don't, and I would, and I'm going to say right now that we should, I'm not saying that we should all run into the woods with a bunch of guns and make a campsite and start a Maoist militia group and start waging people's war um, from the Appalachians against the US government, because that's the only way to full communism. I'm saying like, no, we, we can build a socialist society. Um, we can get part of the way there. You know, a social society needs a, a working class that is conscious of itself as a working class, um, seizing the reins of power. Um, and that can only happen and this is something that Rosa Luxemburg, someone who I think is very fascinating, she wrote the book Reform or Revolution, um, which a lot of people point to and say like, well, actually that means that reformism is impossible. But Luxemburg's point was that reform can take us a long way and we can go a long way with reform. We should take reform a long, we should be doing the former. We should be taking reform a long way. We should be taking reform as long as we can go because the, the political struggles for reform 
those build class consciousness, those build solidarity. That paves the way, for, each reform paves the way for more reform, and each struggle for passing the reform paves the way for future struggles, makes the class struggle that much more obvious, crystallizes it that much more in people's minds, in people's eyes. And I think, you know, something like this, like this program here, the basic income program in Finland, to, to tie it back to what we were actually trying to talk about, um, is that, um, you know, we can take reform a really far away. Finland has taken it very, very far. And I'd be very interested to see where, you know, and I think part of it is just that the capitalist class in Finland, Finnish capitalists are not very powerful in Finland. They just, just politically don't have that much strength. Um, and I think, you know, that is what, um, this is a good example where it's like, if they expand this program, people no longer have to work for a living, they undermine the stability of wage labor. They undermine the stability of that relationship that is one of the bedrock things, one of the bedrocks, uh, bedrock relations or institutions of capitalism, which is wage labor. And if suddenly people don't have to work for a wage, if they're getting paid on the, on the side and it becomes virtually costless to be unemployed, um, people's lives are better and they realize their lives are better not 100% better, but their lives are getting, can be better. Their lives can, they don't have to be dependent upon a capitalist for a job, for their livelihoods. I think, who knows, maybe, maybe, that, maybe, that has a, maybe that has a reactionary effect that we don't anticipate, or maybe it has a good effect. Maybe it makes people more revolutionary. Maybe it makes people more anti-capitalist. Um, I think it would be interesting to see how far Finland tries to go with that. But, you know, um, like I said, now, now I'm here saying pretty much the opposite of what I was saying at the beginning, which is like, you know, this reform shows that like, with, even with all these reforms that Finland has, um, there's, it's still just a mountain of reforms sitting on top of a capitalist base. Um, you know, like the, the base superstructure distinction that like the super, you can have as, as humane a superstructure as you want, but like you still have a capitalist base to your society. Um, and so the fundamental problems of alienation and exploitation remain, but you can also, you know, but also like these reforms also could strike at the core of a society. Um, you know, that, that's sort of like, it's sort of two takes in one for me, I guess, on this one. I think, I think the, 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 um, the key thing here to keep in mind, and I, I think this is a, a general theme that is involved in a lot of discussions, is that nuance doesn't indicate, you know, a, a need for moderation. Because you can, you can have very, you, you can have, you know, you know, at, least, at least by the United, at least by U.S. standards, just by saying that there's nuance to these problems, that there's different little things that can be done, and, and there are different differences between countries. It doesn't mean that we have to say like both sides are right or whatever. We can say that it's very clear to us that what we need is a, is a strong left-wing program. But there's a lot of debates and a lot of discussion and a lot of wiggle room for how to get there. Yes. And and I think that's that's something that's key. And I think that, um, at least from my vantage point, I see that, you know. I'm not going to be be saying like we need to respect all opinions because I don't I think if people don't think if if people don't really generally don't believe that other people you know deserve to have basic basic human decency I don't think that's something that we have to respect 
but on the other hand, I think that people like, especially on online, on Twitter, you know, a lot of Marxists, not you, Nick, but you know, a lot of Marxists, a lot of Thank like um, anarcho-communists, whatever, they're like, say like, we, we have to go this one, this, this one, this one path, you know, and there's nothing like, at yeah. least I think, I think barring some kind of crazy event, I don't think we're going to see a Russian revolution style uprising in the United States. Yeah, and I think that's the one mistake a lot of Marxists that you were like talking about make. They think everything is going to be like storming the Winter Palace. Yeah. But come on, most, I mean, not even the other, other like Stalinist state socialist countries did that. China won a civil, China had a civil war. Yeah. And, and one side won. It was over many, many years. Um, you know. And it wasn't really that ideological, like, yeah, no. not really. It really wasn't that ideological. I mean, like, the, the Communist Party was actually also, the Communist Party of China was also, like, extremely nationalistic. That's why they entered this weird period of isolation. They were continuing this weird Chinese, you know, historical cycle of, um, you know, we're very open and in touch with the rest of the world. And then, you know, the whatever ruling government whatever ruling force that is governing the country and holding it together crumbles and then you know a new force comes into power and we isolate again um you know there's you you look at chinese history there's this long cycle going back thousands of years of governments rising and then collapsing and there's a period of chaos and the government comes back again and there's also these periods of like very open with the world and then going back to being very isolated And, and you know like the chinese communists did that and then you have like you know the red army imposed Stalinism on Eastern Europe. There were no revolutions. They crushed revolutions. There were real, genuine working class revolutions in Czechoslovakia and Hungary that the Red Army crushed. It's why, it's why the term tanky exists. <laughs> um, so, like, sorry, go on. Uh, I kind of got off on a tangent there. No, no, no. I think uh, this is a perfect, tan- perfect tangent, but I would, I would just say we, we should probably be wrapping up this segment about now. But yes. Um, but no, I think, and I, I wouldn't just mention that I would like to. One they say is do a, do a deep dive on China and um and there's and we're well, we're going to when we talk to James but um it's a little spoiler but Ooh. yeah so spoiler so yeah so um I think we've we've, we've seen this uh, basic income experiment has you know at least at least to some degree which obviously was limited from the start by its size. And it's you know construction. Um, some degree show that that basic income, which is does not necessarily mean it's an Andrew Yang style replacement of social safety net because Finland has a very robust, definitely among the top five in the world, social safety net, and yes. the United States is, does not. And and proposing to replace it with a blank check, is not is not enough. But yes. but but the the general concept of basic income. I think is is um is a good one and i think this study um shows that to some degree and uh any final thoughts from you nick um i think we've had a lot of thoughts from me on this one and <laughs> i think i'm i think even i'm still sort of sorting them out but i mean yeah it, that's good that's, i think that's, people need to be able to admit that when yeah they're still yeah. sorting things out in their own head um but um yeah i mean there's, the results of the study reveal that there's, you know, some still some underlying 
uh, structural problems and contradictions within capitalism, but no matter how social democratic you get, but also it shows that you know, social democracy can be pretty useful in um, pushing your society in the right direction. Reform can be pretty useful in pushing your society in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. So um, with that, we'll conclude this segment and then we'll go to the final one. Mm -hmm. And here we are back with our third and final segment of this episode. And we're talking about uh, a pretty hilarious failed coup attempt in Venezuela. Yes, this is one of my favorite things. This is so good. This is so good. I love this. <laughs> so um, this guy, so, so our favorite um, international fail son, Juan Guaido, um, who, as you know, because of the last time we talked about Venezuela on this show, <laughs> he um, was seen, he was last seen clamoring and then falling back down on the other side of the fence outside the National Assembly building in Caracas. Um, <laughs> just, just looking pathetic as, as ever. Because, well, the opposition that he was the leader of voted him out of his leadership position and announced that, um, and the uh, government parties, the parties that um, are in the, the GPP coalition, the Greater Patriotic Pole uh, is what that stands for. These are the Bolivarian parties. It's the uh, Partido Socialista Unidos de Venezuela, um, the, which is the PSUV, the party of uh, um, Maduro and Chavez. Um, their ally, which is their allies, which are, uh, I think, the Venezuelan Communist Party, chief among them, and a few other smaller parties, like a social one, social democratic party, a labor party, a socialist party, blah 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 blah. Um, none of them really matter that much because the PSUV is really big. Um, they decide to retake their seats in the National Assembly, and in exchange, the opposition basically said, we're gonna stop trying to overthrow the government and stop trying to get the United States to invade. And they said, you know, well, already, you know, um, based off of the agreement that the coalition of opposition parties already had, where the leadership role, the person who leads the whole opposition, that's on a rotating basis already. So Guaido already had a term that was gonna be up anyways. Um, and they basically said, okay, the government parties, the, you know, the president's party is gonna take their seats again. Um, the left-wing parties, are, they're going to take their seats again because they haven't been sitting in the National Assembly for a while. We're going to get rid of Guaido um, and we're going to officially recognize the president, uh, Maduro, as the president again. Um, and, and we're basically just going to abandon this whole coup thing and we're going to, you know, quick Guaido to the, cur to the curb. Um, they got together and the National Assembly was meeting again and Guaido was like, this is illegitimate, this is not allowed. And him and a handful of diehards tried to crawl over a fence and security and other people, um, just generally bystanders who were like, I'm sick of this fucking guy, I'm sick of him. And they were just like, they pulled him off, they pushed and pulled him back off the fence. And it was really funny. Um, but Guaido is back in the news. He's coming back again for another try at overthrowing uh, Maduro. And this time he basically was just like, fuck it. 
I'm going to hire a bunch of mercenaries and just try to kill him. <laughs> I'm just going to hire 60 guys to try and murder him. Um, and he signed, he met with this guy, French Canadian born, but a U.S. of A born and raised ex green beret, Jordan Goudreau. Um, he signed a contract with him and he's uh, Goudreau signed the contract. It, he was, Goudreau was going to be paid $20 million to get a team together. To, to, to bring together his own crack team, the, the, the A-team, the Expendables, the, uh, the, the Rambo, a whole squad of Rambos to go into the Venezuelan jungle and then somehow go to Caracas and like kill the president or something. I, I literally still don't understand what his plan was. Apparently their plan was like raiding military bases at one point. But um, this guy, good How many did they have? How many people? Um, so Goudreau, I've read reports where Goudreau has said things about having like 60 um, Colombian mercenaries. 60. 60. How do they um, take down a whole country's military? 60, 60 Colombian mercenaries. Um, the Venezuelan government claims, though, that it has currently captured more than 100. So maybe there were more people. Um, still, that's 60 was odd. just like the foot soldiers, basically, because there were going to be, there's a handful of other ex, ex-US military guys that Goudreau recruited um, into this. Um, and who knows, because clearly this was being done through this company called Silvercore, which is a silver mining company. I don't know why, what they have, why on earth they are actually seemingly a front for a mercenary organization that doesn't actually seem to be a mercenary organization. It just seems to be a bunch of guys who got together and were like, Guaido's going to pay us 20 mil to kill Maduro. Let's go do it. Um, they, I'm assuming they're probably doing this in tangent or in line with um, certain terrorist elements of the opposition within Venezuela. Because um, there are guys in Venezuela who like, have, you know, the country's awash in guns. I mean, like cartels move through the country, uh, move through that country, you know, with ease because, you know, it's one of the Northern South American countries. It, it's on the Caribbean coast. It's a really easy, it's a really cool transit point. It's really, it's really easy to use as a, uh, it's inevitably going to be a place where cartels are moving a lot of their weight through. And as a result, you get a lot of arms traffickers. You get a lot of people with guns, a lot of criminals with guns that are unmarked, unregistered, untraceable. Um, and so you just get a country with a crap ton of guns. <laughs> There's just a lot of guns in Venezuela. So it's really easy to get your hands on them. And so they get into the hands of a few people who are, you know, crazy white supremacist or right wingers or Catholic fundamentalists who believe that Maduro is making their kids into gay transvestites or whatever. Um, then, or, or they think like, you know, that Maduro was like secretly this, like, you know, like the a mentally unstable Colombian who somehow stumbled his way into power or like he's secretly a robot being controlled by the corpse of Fidel Castro or something. Um, they all, uh, you know, I'm sure those guys are actually like popping off. I'm sure they somehow were in league with uh, Guaido and with the Goudreau people that he hired. But um, as far as I know, Goudreau, who's supposedly orchestrating all of this, is hiding out in Bogota in a hotel in like a Marriott in Bogota, um, watching everything go from afar. But he keeps going out into the jungle to do these interviews. Um, where in these interviews, if you listen to them, you notice that he doesn't speak any Spanish. 
He speaks zero Spanish. He has translators who speak to him in Spanish, who, who speak to him in English, and then translate whatever he's saying back to the interviewers. You know, he, uh, does he speak French? He probably speaks a little bit French. He was, as far as I know, he's born in Quebec, but I don't know if he was actual, if he actually like retains any of that. It's not like he, he hasn't spoken French in any interviews, uh, as far as I've seen. He, he's, he's speaking English. Um, and, he, and he sounds like a real redneck, I'm going to say. Um, he, uh, Too proud of energy. Yes, yes. Uh, and he, um, he's just sitting there in, the, in these interviews. This is the really funny part. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is probably the best. This is my favorite part of the story. Um, Guido um, signed the contract with him. He always pulls out the contract. He goes, look, everything I'm doing is legal. All this is legal. Which is like, yeah, sure, buddy. You just sign a contract that says I'm going to overthrow the government. And that makes overthrowing a government legal. Okay. Um, he's like, I've had a contract. It says it right here. He'll always say it makes it legal. And then he says, it says right here, Guaido. Says, he, he's just blowing up Guaido's spot. Blowing up the opposition spot. He's going, it says here, $20 million in full, $1.5 million retainer. He should have paid that up front. I haven't seen a cent of it. <laughs> Guaido has been Guaido has been has had billions of dollars, billions of dollars put into his put into an account that was set up under the like umbrella of the um, Venezuelan transitional government of the interim president or whatever. Um, billions of dollars have been transferred into it in the form of American aid money because. The U.S. government is like funding him. It was like trying to fund his opposition thing, but like he never, he he hasn't like spent that money in any way. Seemingly, he hasn't like you know unless he unless that's the money he's using to like pay for his flights between you know Venezuela, Miami, and Washington D.C. Um, but like it, he hasn't done any major expenses. His opposition, you know, he, even when he was the interim president, when he was calling himself that, and there was like a, a semi-legal argument to be made that that was what he was, um, but he's not anymore. The opposition voted him out. He doesn't even have a seat in the National Assembly anymore. He's he literally just doesn't hold a public office anymore. He has no claim to be interim president anymore. Um, and of course, the opposition has the, the opposition parties are no longer invoking those articles of the Constitution, which they already had a flimsy basis for, anyways. Um, so he he literally like has no real position anymore. So the United States has put so much into him; it just seems that the Trump administration doesn't want to like abandon him because they poured so much money into him. But I don't know where this money has gone because you'd think. If he's offering a guy $20 million, $1.5 million up front and $20 million when the job is done, that he would have, that he would have just easily been able to pay that money to that guy. Yeah. That money's in the United States that's under his control. It's in the United States. It was given him by the U.S. government. It's probably an account that was basically set up by the United States. Um, also, the United States is like diverting the revenues of Citgo, which is run by, which is owned by the Venezuelan government. They're diverting all of its American revenues into the accounts of that are set up in the name of the Guaido government, the government that doesn't exist. Um, they, uh, you, you'd think he'd have the money, but Goudreau hasn't even been paid the retainer yet. He has not seen a cent 
of the $1.5 million. Hey, this man, he's, he's worked hard for his money. Come on. Yeah, this man, this man went out. At one point in an interview, he said that him and his guys were living in a cemetery in a village on the Colombian border in the middle of the jungle. This dude was living in a cemetery for you. He's going to make a movie about this him. in America in like 10 years. I, I cannot wait for the movie, especially because <laughs> but they're gonna these like guys were div- Yeah, they sent in like 60 guys along some river somewhere in Venezuela, nowhere near any strategic target. <laughs> And fishermen. Operation Dumbfuck. <laughs> exactly. Operation Fucking Idiot is what it is. The a bunch of fishermen stopped them. These fishermen in this river on on their little dinghies. Some of their boats are wooden. I've seen pictures. They saw these guys on their like weird little speed boats going down the river, and they were like, "Hey, stop! Attention! <laughs> look, look at me." Mirame, what are you doing? And, they, and these guys are just like, uh, no speaky the language here. And they're just like, let's, let's kick the shit out of this guy. And they like beat these people up, these armed guys. They just beat them up and called the police. And the Venezuelan military just showed up and arrested them all. And the most, and the best thing about it is that Maduro went on Venezuelan state television today and showed off that two of them are U.S. ex-military guys and showed off their passports on TV. Amazing, 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 absolutely amazing. This keeps getting better and better. It just gets better and better because two of them. At first, it came out that like Gudro was like not getting paid. And there's a picture of Gudro with Trump. Did you see this? Yes, there's pictures of Goudreau with Trump. There's pictures of several of these guys. Some of these, the guys who got arrested in Venezuela, two of them, they claim to, one of them claims to be working for Trump's security team. Holy like shit. they're claiming to be like, one of them's like secret service involved maybe. Um, so there's actually a really high chance that- um, They have case part two. Yeah, Trump knows about this. Trump probably knows all about this. Um, Bay of Pigs part two. Only this time without the threat of nuclear annihilation. And um, less people dead because these guys were so incompetent, they couldn't even fire back. They couldn't even, like, fight the battle that, like, like Bay of Pigs, there was actually a battle where, like, Venezuelan machine, not Venezuelan, Cuban machine gunners, you know, like, machine gunned all these guys down. Like, these guys showed up in a river and they got caught by fishermen. And then the police and military showed up and they just immediately surrendered. And now they claim that they've arrested over 100 terrorists and specifically have arrested two um, U.S. military officials, two U.S. military operatives, um, which is, it, it's just so epic. It owns. I'm going to say Maduro epic. owns. <laughs> Maduro is based. Maduro is based. Maduro is based in Red Pill. And these guys, the Chad Maduro, Chad Duro, he fucking he cucked them he's cucked them on uh, at every level and Guaido they fell for his con Guaido's a fool Guaido most masterful con artist I've ever seen in my life honestly thank you thank you Juan Guaido I never thought I'd say this but thank you Juan Guaido for giving me this joy and this laughter this comedy of errors it's so beautiful and it's so perfect. It's so funny. 
Um, but yeah, the U.S. We would probably be. <laughs> it seems like uh, we're just gonna blunder our way out of out of superpower status. It's gonna be amazing. So this big, big late too, power energy. Yeah, too incompetent to actually overthrow anyone's government anymore. It's great. I love it. <laughs> I unironically love that we can't overthrow anybody's government anymore because we're just we just suck at it. Um, but. Uh, and I also unironically love that these guys just totally fucked up this attempted invasion. Um, honestly, I hope Maduro shoots. I hope, I hope Maduro shoots them. <laughs> he won't probably, because it just doesn't seem to be what he does. Um, he seems to be above that. But yeah, I hope he doesn't seem to be a very good strategic guy. move for Venezuela when these guys are just such idiots, and then it gives the U.S. a reason to actually, you know, go in with, you know fighter pilots or something yeah yeah there's that there's yeah don't execute the americans deport them back to america like humiliated and broken you know um yeah yeah, yeah. you know you know he hasn't they haven't executed guaido and he literally tried to overthrow the government in, in the united states that guy'd be you know incinerated by a drone already but uh Wong guaido is uh He's an honorary American, you know. He yeah. stayed in the union. Everyone clapped for him, like he did anything like, like good he, for anyone. Yeah, and now it seems. Um, and I would like to present my own little theory here. He's already been caught, like wrapped up in a lot of corruption scandals, um, and like getting involved with like drug cartels and stuff like that. So, um, how much do you want to bet that the reason why he didn't pay Goudreau anything is because he's either pocketed all the money himself and transferred it into like the personal accounts of himself and a few other of these like exiles um like the u.s aid money like they just pocketed it or have embezzled it somehow or if they laundered it or blew it all on like other stuff and that's yeah. why they have no money to pay good i think that's totally possible 100%. I think it's. I, I bet it's probably like all three. They like bought some insane amount of cocaine because like Guaido's like Guaido would fit in as like a character on Entourage, <laughs> and he like he would be like, "Yo, bro, what if we bought a million dollars worth of coke? That'd be crazy, right? How much is that?" And he probably like blew like a million dollars like buying coke, like a like literally like sixty metric tons of coke from a from like. A car, from the Kali cartel or something like, and, and he probably just like blew a bunch of money on that blew some of the like few billion dollars the US government gave him on like I don't know like probably he's probably quietly building himself a really big mansion and him and him and Trump and Elliot Abrams all did in like one hotel room in Miami or something yeah um he probably like invested in Trump hotels to make sure that Trump never abandons him. He probably laundered a bunch of the money to like, probably is like embezzling it to like pocket it into like a personal account so that he can just be like automatically a billionaire forever. Um, it was probably like laundering it through like the drug trade or something like that. There's probably a million, I would bet that he does not have the money to pay Gaudreau up front because he's probably laundered it and embezzled it all. It would be, yeah. or blew it, and blew it all on like stupid stuff on the side. Which, it, just thinking about that makes makes this so much better, so much funnier. Yeah. Um, All right. I think that's. I think all that I does got. it. That's all I got. Well, uh, stay safe, everyone, and we'll um, see you on Friday for a special episode. And mm -hmm. um, have a good few days. Have a good few days. Bye bye. Bye.